This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with actor, author, philanthropist, and businessman, Hill Harper. And if that weren't enough, the award-winning actor has entered the political arena. A longtime high-profile Democratic supporter, Harper decided to throw his hat in the ring and run for the vacated U.S. Senate seat in Michigan. While the star of television CSI and The Good Doctor came in with a very famous name and face. Politics is an entirely different arena. That's where we started. I opened with the question so many are asking. Successful actor, author, businessman, with the state of politics today, why why jump in? You know, Ed, I can't sit on the sidelines anymore and watch what's happening in our country to our politics. to people. There's so many people I talk to on a daily basis that don't feel like they're being represented in any material way. They don't feel like the federal government has their best interests in mind. And being here in Michigan for the last seven years, I've realized that there's been a wonderful movement in the state of Michigan. Many of you uh, either know that Lansing is the state capital and and we uh, have a triple blue leadership there. And they've seen material movements and issues that matter. And folks don't feel that way about the federal government. The middle class in particular feels like it's getting squeezed. They don't, they, they earn too much to qualify for the earned income, earned income tax credit benefits. And then they see billionaires getting all these loopholes where they end up paying a de facto tax that's less than them. And they're like, well, where do we fit? And why isn't someone in the federal government actually representing our best interests? Then they see something like Ed, the, the, um, the congressional members 
investments outperform the S&P consistently. And they're like, hold on. We pay their salary through our taxes. They spend four to six hours a day raising money on the taxpayer's dime. And then they can trade stocks based on inside information. But if we traded stocks based on inf- inside information, we would go to go to prison. They just know that things aren't stacking up and in, in a way that's meaningful and supportive of them. And, and I'm one of them. You know, I'm one of those folks that feels that way. And I couldn't sit on the sidelines. You, you said something that I think is important. I don't want to just brush right by it because I, I remember when Hillary Clinton ran uh, for the Senate in New York. There were whispers of carpetbagger and, you know, people will associate you, even though you're from the Midwest originally. I don't think a lot of people know you were born in in Iowa. Um, But, you know, people will associate you with California or New York. uh, But you have been here for seven years. Talk to me uh, about what what drew you to Michigan. You know, and you know this already, so I laugh saying it. There is nobody like the people who live here, particularly uh, in Southeast Michigan. No, nobody. And um, I've tried to explain what there used to be a tax credit here that was creating real jobs, creating union jobs here. And that's what brought me here in the first place. Folks have to understand that what happens with an actor's profession is that you have a home base. But you go all over the place to work. And, you know, I I came here to work and there were a lot of films being shot here because Mm -hmm. there was a media tax credit, much like is in Georgia, much like used to be in Louisiana and like is in Canada. So if you think about where you work the most as an actor, it's either Georgia, it used to be Louisiana and then Canada and, and was Michigan when there was this tax credit. And. I met some of the most wonderful people and people who started to become my best friends in the world. And they would say, man, you got to move here, get at least get a house here, do something. And I it planted a seed in my head that I said, when I have a child, I want to raise that child here because I would like that child to turn out more like the folks from here than the folks from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And um, as you know, I adopted my son. He was born December 19th, 2015. And I started looking for a house here. Uh, and I bought a house here in 2016 and then, and then ended up investing and buying a business because uh, I do believe in job creation. I, I believe in in creating uh, the coffee shop is special to me because I believe coffee is community. It brings people together. So having a coffee shop where young people could learn a skill that they could travel anywhere in the world and do get paid. A, a, a true living wage and also uh, uh, have a place that's about community. So I got the roasting plant in downtown Detroit. And it's been the best decision I've made, you know, outside of adopting my son, the best decision I made, because it's the best, the best people in the world are here. And, 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 and somebody tried to, they tried to get me like, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. And, and, and this is where I explained it to them. I've lived in many places, two of those cities you just mentioned where folks have two out of these three things I'm going to say, but I've never been to a place where they have all three out of three. And here are the three things. The people here have a level of grit and backbone and strength that I think is unmatched. There is also this deep sense of soul and creativity that is 
just sort of runs through how they move and just how you present yourself and just what people, how people enjoy things. And then third, there's a kindness here that's almost like that old Southern, you know, grandmama, come on here, baby, have a lemonade kindness. And, and so I've been in places that have two of those three. For instance, Brooklyn, you got people got backbone and people got soul, but ain't nobody inviting you in for a lemonade. <laughs> and then you go to California and somebody will invite you in for a lavender lemonade and to do yoga. And, and, and then they uh, and then they, they have creativity for sure. But you don't get a sense that that there's like this sense of backbone and, and being able to gr- grit is probably the best word. And um, and I want my son to have grit and backbone. I want my son to have a sense of creativity and soul. And I want him to be kind. And I think that if you grow up in this environment, in this area, in Michigan in general, you're going to get that. And it's not just Southeast Michigan, you know, because as I've been here these last seven years, being able to go up to Traverse City, take my son up to the Great Wolf Lodge, go, being able to go up to, to the Upper Peninsula and Mackinac and, and, and even going in Midland and different places. There are people who are just kind, good, hardworking people. So it's been it's been a, it's been a blessing. I want to ask you about, um, you know, going up against uh, an opponent, Alyssa, Alyssa Slotkin, and we should note that Debbie Stabenow, who held the seat that you're vying for, uh, is vacating it, is stepping away. Uh, you're running against someone you're, 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 who is well-established uh, with the Democratic machine. Uh, she is, uh, some would say, kind of middle of the road. Some would say right, uh, right, left, if you will. Um, Give me a sense of, you know, you being new to politics by means of running, because you're certainly not new to politics per se, uh, but as a candidate uh, and running up against someone who has to heretofore the machine behind them. Yes. So a a couple of things. Let me preface what I'm going to say by first saying this is an open seat Democratic primary. And. The proper thing for everyone to do is to stay out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yet, to your point, the Democratic establishment hasn't. Now, I don't want to just talk about that candidate because since it is an open seat, I think it'd be disrespectful for me to speak about that candidate. There's there are other candidates, a myriad of yeah, a myriad of other candidates, and. It's a year away. And for me, I can't speak since I haven't had a conversation um, with with the congresswoman per se. I don't know if she welcomed that uh, that so-called establishment lean in or not. So I in many ways, she may even think it's a disservice to her, you know, um, because there are a lot of people who don't like the idea of DC picking Michigan's next senator. Um, so so I can't even speak about that. What I can speak about though is what Michiganders tell me. And everywhere I go across the state, they tell me that they want to have an, a true open seat and, and, and a true debate about what values they wanna see represented by, the, by whoever wins that seat. And that's why what I'm I'm welcoming. I'm welcoming a true conversation about what real representation looks like and also a conversation, Ed. And I think this is the most important piece of the conversation, a conversation about why 
the largest voting block in Michigan is people who don't vote. Mm -hmm. And why have we lost those people? Why have they become so disillusioned with democracy and representation that they don't feel like they matter? They don't feel like their votes matter and they don't feel like who gets elected actually matters. And, 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 And to me, the establishment and certainly the Democratic Party, in my opinion, should spend more time worrying about getting people back in who have chosen to check out than trying to put the fix in and lean in on an open seat primary. Um, you know, at the end of the day, though, Michiganders are going to have the ability to choose what type of representation and what type of representative they want. And, and, and I'm, wel- I'm welcoming that opportunity because I believe that many folks, once they get to understand me, understand who I am, they take a look at my receipts and my past and my background. They know that um, I value representing people first and not putting government first, not putting uh, big corporate interests first, not putting lobbyists first, not putting uh, 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 special interests first. I want to put people first. And that's what I've done throughout my career and, and why I do what I do. And that's why I'm actually running. You have a, a distinct advantage uh, over someone who is uh, throwing their hat in the ring for the first time, and that is that you are a known commodity, so to speak. So you come to the table with name recognition, but I'm curious how you will do this. Um, and the person that we all know did it supremely so is a genuine friend of yours, and that is Barack Obama. The idea when you look across state elections in this in this country, um, mm-hmm. Black people, I think most people would be surprised that we just still don't fare in the way we should when it goes statewide. So now not only do you have to balance the liberal conservative bent of politics, you have to balance the racial bent. You're in a state that is um, liberal in a portion of it, but a great majority of this state is uh, conservative. So give me a sense of, of dealing with that balancing act. Well, well, you know, it's almost, (laughs) you almost understate the, the challenge here, um, that we're facing. I'll just give, I'll just give some data points that are, that, that hopefully to the listener and and the viewer are, are, there's going to be shocking. There have been 2002 U.S. senators in the history of this country, and only 11 have been African-American or Black. And what makes this challenge even more momentous is that only three out of those 11 Mm -hmm. actually were elected on cycle through the traditional process Mm -hmm. of what I'm attempting to do, which is a traditional primary and in a traditional November general election, the other eight uh, out of those three were either appointed first to the seat or won the seat through a special election first. And so obviously there's much bigger challenge when it's a general cycle because the weight of the establishment can sort of throw itself in in a completely different way when it's it's expected and on cycle as opposed to uh, a, a, a quickly uh, put together special election or in an even quicker appointment. 
So it is a big challenge. So three out of 2002 in the history of this country um, have done what I'm attempting to do, which actually is a lower percentage than the number of U.S. black U.S. presidents there have been. So <laughs> that's about 2.2% of the U.S. presidents have been African-American and less than 0.5% have been elected senators. So so, so it's a massive challenge. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, so if, if we're able to do this, it will be historic. And it will also be historic from the context, but for the first time in 57 years in Michigan, Michigan does not have a black Democratic representative in Congress at all. And, and, and that's the first time in 57 years. So in many ways, the, the idea of representation in Michigan as far as diversity has taken a massive step backwards. Um, so if we're able to overcome that and, 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 and push forward, it's going to be huge. How do we do that? And, you know, I believe the way we do it is to speak to people, meet them where they are and to talk common sense language, just like we talked about at the beginning of this. I believe if you get sick, you should have a right to having quality, comprehensive health care and not have to do the thing that causes the number one cause of personal bankruptcies is medical. Mm-hmm. One third of the money raised on GoFundMe is medical. GoFundMe is not a health plan. It can't be a health plan. Yet we're putting everyday citizens who pay tax dollars in a situation where they have to choose between health care and putting food on their family or filing for bankruptcy. That's not right. And I think generally most Michiganders agree with that no matter what your race. I think the majority of Michiganders are want common sense representation. And so what does that look like? It means, like I just said, if you get sick, you deserve to have a doctor without going into bankruptcy or go on GoFundMe. If you send your kids to school, you should believe, like I send Pierce to school soon, second grade, send him there. I want to have a belief that he's not one experiencing mental trauma by having all of these um series of mass shooter training drills just think about it i was talking to somebody this at home we were talking about and said okay when you're in your house are you telling your kid get under the cover there's the shooter could come in this is what you're going to do no you're not doing that because it's traumatic and you want the home to feel safe you want school to feel safe these kids actually spend more time at school in many ways than they they, they spend at home and so so we haven't been able to take on the billion dollar gun lobby and the nra to the extent that i believe we should because many ways, many of folks who represent us, they're more interested in staying in office than doing what is the right thing to do, which is fight back, ban weapons of mass murder. And, and so that's another example. And we can go on and on. Strong unions. We haven't been able to pass the PRO Act. We're seeing unions getting crushed left and right. We know labor and unions are a critical piece of our economy and the middle class. Yet we haven't passed the PRO Act. We haven't passed the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. So as a senator, I'm willing to be the 51st vote to end the filibuster and get things like the PRO Act passed, get things like the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed, and get the ban on weapons of mass murder. The, the, these are just, I think, things that Michiganders agree with me on and want to see someone fighting for. Give me a sense of, because, you know, there will be those who will listen to you and to your point, this, is, this goes beyond if you are to win this seat just representing Michigan. You know, the numbers are so, so thin in in uh, the Senate that every vote is important. When you think about the attack on diversity that we're seeing now, the attack on a woman's right to choose, 
um, you know, all of the hot button issues, the question, just the environment of, of race in this country. Um, you know, we just saw the incident in Montgomery that that raised again the specter of how, uh, you know, far off we are and really being cohesive uh, as as a nation. Give me a sense of what you would like to do from that seat in in helping heal the divide. Well, you know. You remind me with this question of Tiger's opening day this year. It was the weather was great. Everybody was excited. You go out there and you have all of these folks that are there at the same time to tailgate. They're there for the same team. But you had groups of white folks tailgating and groups of black folks tailgating. And I got kind of down about it, to be honest, Ed, because nobody was mixing. Mm-hmm. They're eating the same food, drinking the same beers. But somehow we've gotten it into the zeitgeist that we don't have enough in common to, to just talk and so. And it is it's wrong. I mean, this is Brown versus the Board of Education was 1954. And I, I was actually talking to Smokey Robinson the other day who endorsed me. Thank God. Thank you, Smokey, for that endorsement. And he said, Hill, I feel like it's more segregated now through de facto segregation than we had when it was Jim Crow and things like that, because simply, it, you know, he was like, folks used to get together and talk and they, they talk on the side and be like, hey man, what's going on? We don't even say what's going on to each other anymore. And, and, and that is a shame. And I, I wanna represent this simple fact. I've grown up with diversity, where I went to college, where I went to grad school, where I grew up and went to high school. All of these things were about celebrating goodness in humans and humanity more so than how much melanin someone hasn't or doesn't have. And the fact that we've politicized and, and listen, let's be clear, the, the history of race in this country goes so far back uh, and, 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 and continues. But there has to be a point where we say we have so much more in common to work for and work together to make this world better. And, and, and the idea that someone was selling this country, this concept that a lot of people bought into, make America great again, rather than the best version of America is, a, is ahead of us. And that's really what I want to talk about. What does the best version of America look like if it is, in fact, ahead of us? And I believe it is. And that's why one of the things we talk about is believe in better. We say believe in better because Unless we start to believe that we can make America much better than it's ever been, then we won't do the work to make it so. And it's going to take work. And I'm willing to talk to anybody who has a good idea. I'm willing to talk to anybody, no matter where they're from, what they do. And you're right, Ed, this Senate seat is a national seat. It's a 50-50 Senate. And so goes Michigan, so goes the country. Um, Whoever wins Michigan in this presidential cycle is going to win the presidency. You know, that that's just it. And it's been that way historically. What do you tell people who who say a black progressive Democrat first timer cannot win in the environment that we see not only in Michigan, but in the nation today? It's, it's, it's just absolutely patently false. If you actually look at the fact that so many people don't vote. You know, and if if they were to say the only way Hill Harper can win is to get people 
who normally don't vote in a Democratic primary to turn out in big numbers, uh, they, I would say you're absolutely right. So if I can't actually touch a chord in terms of hearts and minds and make sure that we're communicating with real people that want to actually, I believe, participate, but don't feel like there's any reason to. If we're able to do that, then we're able to actually win something, but also do something even bigger, which is get more people back engaged, re-engaged. And what starts to happen Ed, is I believe it's kind of like the reverse mirror effect of what happened with the 45th president. If you saw what happened there, he was able to, to, to speak to people's hearts and minds and, and he became unbeatable in a primary context because he was having so many people vote that or, ordinarily wouldn't vote in a primary. And he was the anti-establishment candidate. But what happened? The ripple effect was so many other candidates that followed the same method, methodology, and sentiment were able to run and win all over the country. I believe that if we're able to do this here, we can share the blueprint and start a wave that starts with empathy, starts with progression, and starts with love, starts with actual common sense values. And we can see that type of wave start to build where candidates become almost unbeatable if they are espousing the same type of progressive values that I'm talking about. And, 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 and labels bother me a little bit because in many ways you say, Hill, yes, you're the most progressive candidate in this race. That is true. But also when people hear me talk about the way I see small businesses and economic development, there was a Republican that said, man, I'm going to support you because you're absolutely right. Small businesses are the economic engine of any community. And the fact that you drive around many of the most struggling communities in Michigan and you know that no one from those communities owns any of the commerce centers in those areas. We have to we we can spend trillions of dollars bailing out banks, but we can't bail out small entrepreneurs and communities that will actually create jobs in those places. He's like, you're sounding like a Republican, you know, and so it's not about Republican, Democrat, progressive conservative, liberal, this. It's about common sense, good ideas and what's going to help people. So it should be in theory. It should be. You're right. It should You're be right. in theory, but it really is about that. And that leads me to the last point. And that is, you and I have done many, many interviews over the years that I've known you. And part of what I always talked about is that you were very intentional with the roles that you took. Um, and putting African-American men in particular in a positive light with those roles. You know, you, you look at the other side of uh, the aisle, then, then you sit, uh, those who are running for the, the presidency. And I think about the negative nature that Trump has led them to. And quite frankly, there is a negative back and forth. Uh, on both sides of the aisle, if we're fair, but certainly not to the extent that Trump has brought to uh, to common everyday politics today. How can you stay positive uh, with the the environment and the nature of the body politic today? Again, it's not getting pulled into false debates. Um, 
and and quite frankly, you know, not reading Twitter. You know, <laughs> if we're going to be brass tech, I went on Twitter the other day and I was like, oh, my God, I, uh, if, if I read this, I would become cynical and bitter and, and be upset. I can't let that, you know, sort of inculcate uh, my psyche because my magic is positivity. My magic has been we are better than we can believe in better. We can do these things together. And if I start to flip over to cynicism, vitriol, division, negativity, then they've won. And I believe it's different. And it's and, and what's so crazy about it is I believe you can be a warrior in being positive, meaning it's not Pollyannish. It's not it's not about being a pushover and it's not about say, saying kumbaya, everything's OK. We're going to love everybody. No, it's about saying I'm going to fight for people, but I'm going to fight for the best of people and in the best nature. I don't have to tear somebody down to fight for somebody. And that's the difference. I don't have to stand on top of somebody's head just to elevate myself. I believe we can bring enough people along that we elevate each other. And that's the fundamental idea of not getting sucked into that negative nature, even within the context of a democratic primary where you would think that that would be true. But, you know, what I'm realizing is I'm seeing people tell lies about me as soon as I announced um, that were patently false just because they believe it's going to create some type of competitive advantage for them. And. And, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to do that at all. How can I how can I do that? My son is sitting right here listening to this interview. Mm-hmm. How can I how can I represent to him that I want him to be the best version of, of a human and be and always be positive and support other people if if I didn't act that way? And that goes back to your point about the roles. I chose roles that I believe and projects that I believe up up our human condition, particularly as you look at us uh, in our community. And if there were projects that tore us down, there I can name a number of roles Ed, that you well know that if, that if I would have done those roles, I'd probably be a lot richer and a lot more famous, but they didn't fit right. And that's why I think about somebody like Chadwick Boseman. I think about Chadwick Boseman all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew him before he was Black Panther before all of that. And he guest starred on CSI New York in 2005. And he was resolute about the type of artist he was mm-hmm. and the type of elevation he wants to have. And just think about that. We're having a podcast now talking about politics and, and, and he's still in my mind. And it shows you that if you do things in that level of integrity, you do things the right way. Um, there's a legacy piece involved in that. Uh, lastly, the, the the idea of entertainers, actors in politics is not new. Perhaps most famous and certainly highest seat, Ronald Reagan. Yes, uh, you know. But but I'm I'm curious which road you're going to take. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and and Ronald Reagan stopped with their acting when they jumped in. But I think about someone like Fred Thompson, who people may not know the name immediately, but it's the, as soon as you saw that face, you would know. Yeah. Fred continued to a far less degree, obviously, but continued to dip his toe in the water and act while while he was, you know, holding a seat. Which will we see from you if you're, uh, you know, if you're blessed to have the seat? I don't know. But, you know, the, the most famous actor right now that's leading is uh, uh, Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, 
you know, uh, people, I always try, I try to remind people of him because, you know, like he's doing all right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? We, and, and, and he was a comedian. Comedian, you know? yeah. And yeah. so, uh, so uh, who, who, who knows? I mean, this is my life uh, as I see it for the next seven years. Yeah. Um, it'll take one year, hopefully, to win. And then six years sitting in a seat that we won, minimum. And so, uh, for the next seven years, this is, this is my life and, and, um, you know, at, at a minimum, but at the end of the day, giving, having people give you the permission to represent them is such an awesome, awesome permission. And I've always thought about that, for instance, when I was doing theater or when I was doing a, a project where people had to buy a ticket, you know, them deciding to come see you perform and spend their hard-earned money, they deserve the best, the best they can get. And and, and then same thing for me. If someone's going to give me their vote, they deserve full-time, 24-7 representation from me. And that's why, and I'll say it here, because I'm not sure if I've said this publicly, that I will not, when I'm elected, be like all the other members of Congress, you at the House of Representatives and the Senate who raise money on the people's time. I will not raise a dime or make a make a funding call between 9 p.m. 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. because that's the people's time. I should be meeting with constituents. I should be doing office hours. I should be working on what's representation. Right now, Ed, I was shocked, and, and many people don't realize this, four to six hours a day is what our representatives spend raising money on average. That's over 500,000 hours a year. And we wonder why the Congress does not get enough done. That's why. And so campaign finance reform is necessary. Uh, uh, not raising money on the people's time is necessary. And truly representing the people in a 24-7 capacity. And that's what I want to do. Well, listen, man, we don't know what the outcome will be, but I want to salute you um, for, you know, really living your conviction, you know, walking away from the dollars that you were able to make and the fame that comes with the, um, you know, the road you've chosen is heady stuff. Uh, and to walk away and, and get into this really says a lot about you. So good luck to you, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Ed. And let me just end with this Pierce's clapping, which I think is great. I just want to say that, if, if anything that we've said here, hold on, Chris, if anything that we've said here um, resonates with you, this is a grassroots campaign. Um, we need grassroots support. We do not have the big establishment behind us. So hillharper.com, a dollar makes a difference. Two dollars makes a difference. We have to build it with more donors and, and folks that support this idea that that grassroots campaigns can work and and so i appreciate any support folks go to hillopper.com please support it and uh, know that no matter what amount it makes it makes a real difference and that's and that's real um i'm going to be very proud to be able to stand up and say that i may not have raised as much money as my my competitor or central competitors but i have 10x more donors and that, to me, is a more powerful statement than the actual dollar amount. One hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. 
Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.